Hoody hoo. Alright guys, so this is kind of going to be like a part two to the last episode. Um, again, people who are listening, I'm doing this way in advance, but so be it. Um, so this is the wife of my last guest, and uh, you want to tell us your name? Because I don't want to say it incorrectly. Risa. What's your nationality? I'm Mexican. Oh, Mexican. Okay. Uh, my sis- mm-hmm. my sister is uh, half Puerto Rican, so I grew up in the Spanish culture for good while. I mean, it's different, but um, yeah. But I also was around a lot of people who are Mexican descent. And, um, yeah, you know, Jason is um, more Mexican than I am. I always tell him he does all the things. Like you know, he has the spicy food, and I stay away from it. So I'm, he's like, you're not a real Mexican. I'm like, no, I know. <laughs> and you have more of an accent than he does. Yeah, exactly. And part of that is because uh, I lived in New York and I was around a lot of different, um, you know, nationalities like uh, Puerto Rican, like you said, Dominican. And so I started picking up their accents and I'd come home and my family would be like, what? Where did that accent come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was around so many different ones. I mean, even there were sometimes like even like my dating profile or, or certain things, people would just say like, oh, you look Puerto Rican. And I'm just like, nah, I just look white. But I guess some of it rubbed off. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, but it does it does bother me when people say certain Spanish words like, uh, and, uh, you know, in, in Puerto Rican Spanish, when they say certain things, I hear white or black people say it. And it's so like just crap and i'm just like no it said this way um yeah it's like well who do you tell us you're white it's like well i know a little i know a little (laughs) yeah i know a little um so anyway um i guess we should start with like what uh what you suffered from and then we'll get to like where you were at beforehand yeah so i am a pun stroke and locked-in syndrome survivor. So that was kind of scary when I realized what the heck that was. Um, But especially finding out the odds of surviving that, that was also more scary. But before I go into my story, I'll tell you who I was before. Um, I was living in New York. I was a regular girl. Um, I was a hairstylist and living my best life I was successful and I honestly thought uh, my life was indispensable I thought that I was on top of the world and nothing can get me down and that clearly is not the reality Um, so now fast forward seven years and I am my life has completely changed and it's been amazing. It's been challenging. Um, it's been heart wrenching, but it's also been very rewarding. And um, I think if I had to do it all over again, I would. Um, I'm not sure. I, I I probably would kick and scream a little bit in the beginning, but uh, I will do it all over again. I mean, the fact that I've been invited to speak on platforms like, you know, Lisa Nichols stages and on TV and the doctors 
um, the, the doctor show. Um, I've been, my story's been shared in, in the Washington Post, uh, Women's World Magazine. I mean, it's been, it's been an amazing, incredible journey for, to realize like me, I, I'm capable of all of these things and more. And I, I, in the beginning, I didn't realize all of this was for me just because I was sharing my story and just because I was inspiring and giving people hope that that can transcend into something so beautiful. So back up to uh, when I had my stroke, uh, it was the year 2014. I still, I'm still working with a brain injury. So numbers are still a challenge for me. Right. And sometimes I, I also have uh, something called aphasia. So I will use filler words to try to come up with the word that I'm trying to, to say in my head. Sometimes it comes to me, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I've learned to work around it. So I still get stuck sometimes and and I'm okay with that because the way it comes out is exactly the way it needs to so yeah and if that's um, the only thing like if that's one of your side effects you still have like that's not bad from what it could have been um correct yeah but did you uh did you take life for granted before all this happened I I say in a way yes I think that um most people that have never stared death or a circumstance like that in the face. Um, I believe that most people do take life for granted and and kind of go about every day thinking that it's going to be there every day and not really realizing that in any given moment, it could be taken from you. And I think I went through life always expecting tomorrow and never really taking advantage like full advantage of today uh, that is something that I learned after my stroke I learned the benefits of of um you know living in the moment after my stroke right, right. so so fast forward now like well I did that earlier but um like I said, I'm a pond stroke survivor I, re, that resulted in Lockton syndrome. And then the statistics that were were going around about what I had suffered was less than five cases per year worldwide, which left me with a less than 1% chance of recovery. Those were my odds. But this is my story. So when I was in the hospital, when I found myself in the New York City Hospital, I was very confused because I was trying to talk to all of my, you know, doctors and everybody who was working on me. I didn't yet realize that I had a stroke. I felt completely fine. I was, I was in the bed and they were like hooking things up to me and talking about me. And I didn't understand, like, why are they all talking about me but not talking to me? So I, I kept responding to the questions that they would ask about me. You know, is she allergic to this? Is she allergic to that? Has, have you given her this? 
does she have anything on under this rope? Like just simple questions. And I was responding. No one was, was acknowledging me. So fast forward, uh, I ended up in another room or in another hospital and it's still going on. Well, now I'm in the emergency room. Uh, there was clearly a car accident with a young boy that came in the room and he was, you know, pretty much a mangled mess. Like I was scared when I saw him because he was all cut up and everything. And I had my doctor still working on me. And I was like, go help him. I'm okay. Go help him. And, and I didn't understand. They closed the sheet so that I wouldn't see. And they kept working on me. And I'm like, I am not that serious. Go help him. But I guess it was that serious because the reason that no one was responding to me was because I had already slipped into locked-in syndrome. So I was awake and aware of everything around me, but I couldn't communicate. That's so I was, what I was stuck wa- in my yeah, body. That's exactly what I was figuring, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was stuck in my body and I, I, there was really no, I was thinking I was communicating. I was thinking I was talking, but I wasn't saying anything. Oh, and tricky. it was, it was an, it was like living a nightmare. I mean, I, days, weeks went by and I was still in this state. How and long did it, I'm sorry, I'm going to figure How long, did, how long did it take for you to figure it out or did you not figure it out until they told you when you were eventually came to? It, no, it did, it did take a while for me to figure it out and I was still locked in when I did figure it out um, because people would come to the hospital, like my mom, when, when my mom got the call and, and ended up in the hospital. I saw her and I just wanted to say, I, I said it. I said, mom, don't worry. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But she couldn't hear me. So she just stood there, you know, in disbelief, crying and, and telling me like, I'm trying to console me, but I was trying to console her, but she couldn't hear me. So that happened. And it compounded with the doctors talking about me, about my state. Can you it hear compounded them? It when, when, yeah, I could hear them. I could hear uh, visitors that would come in and, and they would be talking amongst, you know, the themselves. They would talk to my mom about my state. I was, you know, they, when they were in the room, I could hear bits and pieces. Most of the time, my mom would say, let's talk outside of the room. Like, you know, she felt like, she that I she knew that I could hear her, so she wasn't comfortable with everyone speaking about me in the same room. What was and your so she, What was your oh, body function like? Can you move anything? Nothing. I could. I think it's a. In the very beginning, um, I couldn't even open my eyes. Uh, I could just hear, and then later I was able to open my eyes. But when I opened them, I didn't really have function over my eyes so they would just kind of dart around in my head with real no real focus because uh i wasn't really i I could hear people but i couldn't see and connect that what i saw was a person and not only a person it was a person that that noise was coming from that that voice was coming from and was it wasn't only the that person the voice was coming from it was a person that i knew and loved 
So I needed to put everything together, like piece by piece. Every I needed to stitch everything together. Right. And then once I was able to connect that that was that person that was speaking was a person that I know and love, and I was now trying to focus on what they were saying. So every time I would focus on what they were saying, I would lose the focus of their face. So again, it would go into darting around. My eyes would start darting around because I, I stopped focusing on trying to focus on their face. And now I was focusing on listening to what they were saying. So until I was able to put those two things together, I was able to see them and hear them and understand them. So it took, it happened in stages, but everything in my recovery also happened in stages. And so, so now I'm, I'm realizing that I am in this locked in state. I, it's becoming more and more clear to me. I'm hearing more little bits and pieces because I was in the learning facility in a, in a, in New York Presbyterian, which is a, a, a learning hospital and, and they have, they do rounds with other interns and they come in and they talk about people's state. Well, because of my uh, locked-in syndrome, having less than five cases per year worldwide, looking at a less than 1% chance of recovery, they had, I was an example. They had to talk about it. And so I got to hear little bits and pieces of what, what they pronounced what my state was. And I disagreed with it. I was like, no, that's not going to be my fate. That's not going to be because I was completely coherent in what, what they were saying. I made a decision that that whatever they decided was not going to be my fate. That decision was up from up to me and me alone. So I, how aware, how aware were they? Did they, I mean, you said this is very rare. So, were they aware that you could hear them and understand them at all? The doctors, I mean. Yeah, they, they did. They, they, because once they told my mom that I had locked-in syndrome, um, they had to explain it to her. So they knew what what locked-in syndrome was and what it resulted, like what the syndrome resulted in. And they even had my mom to better understand it, watch a movie, which is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And that is about uh, someone that studied his uh, pond stroke with resulting in Moxon syndrome. Um, and he wrote a book about it by blinking. And it took him a really long time, but he wrote a book and then later the book became a, a movie. And my mom started to watch it, but it was too hard for her to watch to understand. So, uh, but she did get the gist of it by looking it up and doing the research and understanding it. And what, what, one thing she understood was my brain capacity is pretty much the same. I can still understand. I can still hear them. So she used what uh, I had left. And what she did was something that I honestly owe her the, my life to. She started playing positive affirmations in my ear. She started playing, um, talking to me about my future and what it will look like. She started talking to me about, the, 
she started painting a picture in my mind of what I really wanted. She painted it for me before I could paint it myself. And and then after she started playing audiobooks, right? And one of the audiobooks was uh, an audiobook called The Secret. I don't know if you've ever heard of The Secret, but The Secret focuses on the law of attraction. And basically, and what you focus on grows. And in that book, I heard the voice of a woman by the name of Lisa Nichols. And she said, the first step is to ask, to make a command to the universe and let the universe, well, because the universe responds to your thoughts. So let the universe respond to your thoughts. And, and basically, that's what I did. I let the universe respond to my thoughts because thoughts were all I had. So I had to learn how to change my thoughts into what I wanted because the universe will give that to me if that's all I think about. So I, I, I left no room for doubt. No room for doubt. I didn't care what the doctor said. I didn't care what the statistics look like. I didn't care that it was going to be considered a miracle and miracles are hard to come by. I cared that I was going to do it. I didn't. If nothing else mattered, but what I believed in. And I believed that I was going to be happy, healthy, and whole again. So it's what I focused on. And because I focused on, on that, it grew. That grew like a flower blooming inside of me. And it was like this intense energy that I had. And every time I would hear a naysayer, I was like, watch me, watch me. And it was just burning inside of me. And so the doctors would come and check on me. And it was the same prognosis over and over again. But this time, I, nobody could see that I was working. And so many times that happens to us in life, right? We're working and working and working so hard at something. And the results are just not seen. People can't see the, the, the hard work and that we're putting into it. But one day, that flower is going to bloom. One day it's going to sprout from the ground. And, and I knew that that was going to happen. So my mom and my family that was in the room, they were all in the room and they were all, you know, talking amongst themselves. But I, I really, really wanted to be a part of the conversation. And I was trying, I was trying and I was like moving and they would, you know, the doctors would come in and say, no, no, these movements are involuntary. She's not not moving well then again they were having another conversation and I was moving again and my mom was like Brita, are you moving are you are you moving like I think you're moving on command if you can hear us you know show us a sign show us a sign well I I was able to flicker my pinky they saw that flicker of pinky they ran and told the doctor she's moving my daughter's moving on command the doctors came in and they assessed me. And again, they said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I know you want to believe it. But those movements that you see are involuntary. Just like so many times in our business, in our lives, in the things that we're trying to create, they see it, what we're doing, and what we get a little bit of results. They keep other people on the outside, they say, it must have been an accident. You were so lucky. You were placed in the right place at the right time. And then that, that was your result. And then we backtrack it and think that it was just an accident. 
It wasn't an accident. You've been putting in the work. You've been putting in the work. So now these are your results. And that was my result. That pinky move was my result. But they didn't see it. So it was up to me to keep going. It wasn't up to, to them to finally see it. It was up to me to keep going so that I can start to make a ripple and that they can finally notice and, and, and make a difference and help me make a difference. Because eventually, we're going to realize, we're going to hit the road where we do need to stop and ask for directions. We are going to need to ask for help. And, and this was me. I was going on my path. But now I needed help. Did you think now um, I needed someone to did, notice? Did Did you think there? I don't know if it ever popped into your head, but did you ever try to do some kind of like Morse code thing with your eyes, like blinking or? Something? Yeah, that's that's that was the next step um, that they were going to start working with me on. Uh, they were going to start work because I was able to open my eyes now. They were going to start working with me on learning uh, how to speak with my eyes and blink with my eyes. Um, by looking at a uh, glass mirror or a glass window with the letters on it and and being able to look at each letter and spell it. But that was, they were about to start working with me on that. But uh, the universe had a different plan for me. So it never resulted in that. Uh, so going back to that part of my story. So I was, I was in that state and the doctor's, came back in and finally my mom was like very adamant like I said I come from a Mexican culture so my mom is a very stubborn stubborn mom and she was like no 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 no. you guys don't see it but I know it's true you come back here and you check on her so she was very very adamant they came back in and they were like okay holding my hand up your mom says that you were moving Brisa show us the sign that you were moving well imagine like an energy beam coming from my brain, breaking through that brain stem. The the my pons and brain stem is it's 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 like a barrier. It was a barrier that was put like on the bottom of my neck to be able to get through to the rest of my body. That barrier's been there. So now I gotta get past that barrier. And that energy beam is like working its way through that barrier finally gets past that barrier that energy beam goes down my shoulder to my arm past my elbow all the way down to my wrist and imagine it's like a computer loading right it's just wait like loading right there at my wrist and I'm like come on Risa I need to show my family a sign I need to show my doctors a sign but it was not an accident it was intentional and I got to do this again I'm just so tired and so tired from trying to show the signs. Like I, I'm just tired. And so it was loading. It was loading. And then the doctors, again, they gave me the energy, that boost that I needed. And I was able to make that energy beam reach my pinky and flicker my pinky one more time. And that, Flicker of my pinky is what began my recovery. That sent the doctors and the family, my family, everybody into tears. And, and they were so excited because they knew that was a sign that I was still in my body, that I was no longer locked in my body, that there was hope. And that at the end of the day, that's all we need is a little bit of hope. 
And after we use that hope and turn it into energy, the possibilities are endless what we can do with that. So when I, I use that hope that, that everybody had, had uh, given me, the doctors, the nurses, my mom, everybody, the fact that I gave them hope, I gave myself hope, I turned that hope into energy. And so what, what, what could I do next? Now what can I show them next? I was able to move my arms. I was able to move the right side of my body. I was able to wiggle my toes. I was able to get do things that I never thought I could do. I could. They weeks later, they were standing me up. Months later, they were standing me up, and I was I was able to work on getting the right side of my body. The left side came months later, but it did come back the same way so I was every time I was I was recovering I would go back to the doctors and check they would check on me so I was learning how to walk that was that was hard so they ended up putting me in a wheelchair and I was in the wheelchair and I would come back for my checkups and they would say Brisa this is amazing what you're doing is remarkable, but this is as good as it's going to get. And every time I would come back into the hospital, I came back in in a walker. And they're like, oh, my God, Frisa, you're walking. Yeah, I'm walking, but I'm, gonna, I'm walking with a walker. They're like, yeah, Frisa, but this is amazing. This is remarkable. But this is as good as it's going to get. No, Doc, when am I going to start walking unassisted? Risa, you have to understand, this is remarkable. You need to be proud of where you're at. Like, this is good. Not a lot of people even get these results. Well, I'm not a lot of people. I want different results. So that was up to me in my mind. <clears throat> I had to learn how to stop placing the limiting beliefs that other people had on me and, and start creating my own new reality. So every time I came back into the doctors, I came in after my walker. I, I had uh, came in with a, a cane. And then guess what they said? The same thing. The walker, the, the, the wheelchair, the, the, um, the walker, the cane. I came in unassisted every single time. It was the same story. The same story that I should be proud of how far I've come. But if I know I can do more, why not try? Right. How, how, why how not far try? in were you able to talk? So I was, I was able to talk a couple months after because, because Lawson syndrome does affect your whole body. I wasn't able to breathe on my own. So I had to have a tracheotomy and that's where they make a small incision on your, in your windpipe, your trachea and insert, um, a breathing machine so that you can the machines can breathe for you. So I was I had a I had a tracheotomy. I had a G tube which was used to feed me because I couldn't swallow food right. or process it or anything like that. So it had to be um, directly placed in my stomach. Um, months later, that was all taken out. What was like, um, what was but, the first day like when you actually could say something? The first day, the first words I said 
because my mom was there with me every single day and she believed in me more than I could. Sometimes we need, you know, those cheerleaders. They can't play the game. They can't, they're not playing the game, but we do need those cheerleaders. And that's who she was. She was my cheerleader, but ultimately I had to play the game. So my mom was my cheerleader through the whole thing. And my mom was the result of my first words. My first words were, I love you, mom. And that was, I mean, it was kind of not perfect, but it was, it was said and she could understand it. And then later, I mean, before that I was, I was writing on a, on a whiteboard. I would write everything or note papers or anything, you know, I would just write and it was really, really hard to read and really hard to understand. And every once in a while they would get one or two words out of it. But ultimately I knew I just have to work on it. I just have to, just like anything else in life, I have to work on getting them to understand what I'm trying to say so that I can say them so they can understand the message that I'm trying to write. Well, it's the same thing in our recovery and it's the same thing in our journey. Like we have to learn how to turn our mess into a message. And that's what I did then. And that's what I'm doing now. Right. <clears throat> okay. So back to you went in there with a, a cane. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the neck after they told you no, and this is, you know, you're not going to be able to get any further with this. What was the next step? So I just kept going back to the law of attraction. I kept using manifestation. I kept um, any negative thoughts, any um, doubt, any any doubt that I had, I, I just kept that away from me. So if there was any doubt within me or someone else, I didn't pay attention to what anybody else said. I just knew, like I knew, like I knew it was going to be, I was going to be okay. And that's when I realized thought, thoughts become things. So whatever it is that I was focusing on and thinking, it became a thing. So I realized if I can make big things, like I can make a celebration over a freaking pinky move, then what else can I do? Right. So that's all I focused on. It's I don't have to move mountains. All I got to do is move my thinking. So every step in my recovery was was set by little goals that I gave myself, small intentions. So if it was, you know, if the doctor said, Risa, you're to be able to move your toes because that they said that is probably going to be one of the last things to come. Fine motor skills are the last thing to come back to you after suffering something like this. And I was like, no, I'm going to move my toes. So I made it my intention that I was going to move them. And I worked at it and I just put all of my energy into that until I was able to show them that I could do it. So I used that, that example in the rest of my recovery. So if it was me learning how to stand up, it was if it was me learning how to talk again, if it was me learning how to tie my shoes, take a shower, you know, stand on my own, everything had to be done with pinky moves. Now, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always simple, but it had to be done. So I, I, I stopped thinking of the bigness of it 
And I started just focusing on the little steps that was going to get me to my goals. Like, for example, my mom, uh, she would she would always uh, encourage me, especially when I got home. She would do things for me like um, put an oven mitt on my hand, on my affected or on my unaffected hand. So my left side, like I said, it was coming back to me. It was delaying on coming back to me. I was still trying to get those movements to come back and be fluid again on my left side. So my mom did something for me and she would put an oven mitt on my right hand. So now if I wanted to text, if I wanted to change the channel, if I wanted to do anything, any fine motor skills that I needed to do, I needed to find a way to do it with my left hand. And, and I didn't, I didn't have the fine motor skills, so I didn't see how I was going to be able to do it. I could barely even open my hand. I couldn't even, it was like a club, I always said. It was just not, it was not moving. So my mom says, well, you got to get it to move, so I'm going to put this oven mitt on your right hand. So you need to focus on your left hand to move it again. Well, that's what I did. I had that oven mitt, and trust me, it was frustrating, and I wanted to take it off and throw it across the room many, 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 many times. But I did it and I made it a point like, okay, if you can do all that, then why can't you do this? Come on, Brisa, you can do this. And I would, I would encourage myself. Sometimes you have to be your own cheerleader. And that's what I was. So I kept my glove on and I would do things like texting and changing the channel. I would, I would do more when I would go to PT. I would do more. So they said, I need you to do five, five, five of these exercises. I would do 10. Like I had to, I had to put myself in the state where there was no other option. And as a result, that's what I got. So I think if you focus on pinky moves. If you focus on the small, the small things, uh, break it down into small, tiny, actionable goals, like goals that you can attain. Like, of course, I wanted to get up and walk out of the, the hospital right away, but I couldn't do that without moving my pinky. I couldn't do that without sitting up, being able to sit up in a wheelchair without my head drooping over and my body slumping over. So I had to practice sitting up in a wheelchair. Later, I had to practice wheeling myself in a wheelchair. I had to learn how to be um, to to be able to do, be on my own, so that I can um, show my doctors that I'll be fine once I go home. And then once I go home, it was a new set of challenges. So every time you level up in life, there's going to be a new set of challenges, and and. It's just up to us to break it down into little pinky moves that is going to get us to be able to overcome those challenges. Right. Yeah. How long was this recovery for? Like from when you, you know, left the hospital to, you know, all the walkers, the cane and all that, like how long of a time frame was this recovery? I don't specifically know, remember, because I don't know numbers, but, um, I know that I'm still recovering. Um, I just don't really focus on what I can't do. I focus on what what I want 
focus on what I can do. And as a result, I get more of it. So I do give a disclaimer that, you know, most of the time when I'm invited to speak, I do give a disclaimer that, that I, I still work with aphasia, but it, I don't let it stop me. I still work with short-term memory, but I don't let it stop me. So I can't give you a timeline, a uh, exact timeline. I could tell you I'm seven years post. Yeah, okay. I, I could tell you that, but I don't know exactly like months. Um, when I was be able to be released, it was months. I don't know exactly how many months. So, um, I want to say somewhere like five, six months I was released. I don't know. I think, I don't know. And then I, came home and it was years and years of recovery my uh left side came back years later or a year i something like that i'm sorry to you no, i can't you're fine. tell you don't, exactly. please, don't worry about it it's not that big of a deal i just was it was just a question i probably a stupid question um no 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 worries. uh so again forgive me if you said this but what do they say causes this so they don't know they still don't know what first of all Brain stem uh, strokes that result in loss of syndrome is very, very, very rare. And like I said earlier, five cases per year worldwide. So they don't understand. I didn't have an accident like a car accident, which normally that does happen, like a skiing accident or or like you know, a, a, a activity accident normally results in something like that where. Um, there is a brain injury, and that's the result of it. But I didn't have any of that. So the doctors were kind of confused as to why uh, I had it. But I stopped asking, when I stopped asking, why did this happen to me? I realize now why the, the point of it is for me to be able to recover to the point where I'm at now so that I can show other people that that they don't have to be locked into these limiting beliefs that I I feel like it happened to me for a reason to share this message to other people to realize that there is more as long as they believe it there is more yeah um I mean that's amazing, I think that it's got to be scary to at least think like you don't even know why it happened because <clears throat> I'm sure no. for your, for as many cases there are, there were very few cases, but for the, for all the other people that have had this, you're probably the anomaly. I mean, I don't know how many, I've never even heard of it. So I don't, I wonder how many actually came out like you did. Um, and again, who, there, who had the support system that you did too. So there's, there's a few people that I know that because there is not many of us. So we, we kind of all pull together and we know, you know, we pretty much, know each other um we follow each other on social media and and stuff and and they're all around the world um some of them are doing big things as well they're also authors and speakers and um but everybody's niche is a little bit different um and so i feel like you know if you have the ability to share your story and impact someone's life, you absolutely should. And I mean, whether it be in a gas station, supermarket, on stage, or, you know, on TV, doesn't matter. What, however, you can impact someone's life, 
even if it's in a moment, I feel like that's your purpose. You should. You were placed there for a reason. And I mean, there's many times where I've, you know, been in a gas station and I'm having a deep conversation with someone and, and my, and Jason is like, um, uh, you okay over there? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I was having a conversation. So I feel like you don't, I don't take it lightly that I recovered to the extent that I have. I mean, if you see me today, there is no outward signs of my stroke. I am, you know, physically speaking, I am 100% recovered physically speaking. Um, so there's not, I can look past right by you on the street and you'll never know what I have gone through. But in, in, in the same respect, everybody's got a story and everybody's going through something. And sometimes we need to just, we need to be, well, the way I see it, I need to share my story so that I can help other people that also have stories and that is also going through things so that eventually they can see that all they got to do is stay on the path and, and flicker their pinky over and over and over again. And after a while, that's going to compound. That's going to compound and they're going to make a difference in their life that they're trying to make. All right. What do the, what do the doctors think of you now? Because they kind of, I mean, I, kind of hard to tell you that you can't do anything now because like I said, your body physically hundred percent recovered. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do they think of you now? And then what's your, what is your faith well, in, in doctors? Because they told you for so long that you couldn't do it. Well, doctors are doing what they know. Doctors are only, uh, they're, they're practicing that, that they're, when they say that, I mean, they're medical practices, like practitioners. So they're practicing. They, they don't know everything, but they, they, they know to their full extent of their knowledge, I guess what they've studied. Um, so when I, because I did make it a point to go back to my doctors and see them. Um, my neurologist and, and everybody that was working with me at New York Presbyterian, um, I did make it a point to go back with them and or to them and, and and see them. And they were very surprised. And they took me into their um, offices and were introducing me to other doctors and other neurologists and asking me, you know, medically speaking, all of these questions, they're very intrigued as to how I did it. So that just tells me that they don't know either. They don't know either, but that's not, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter just because they don't know doesn't mean that, that that's, you know, set in stone and, and, and because they don't know that this is the way it needs to be, it needs to be exactly what they do know and that's it. No, it, this is how they learn. So we do need to go back and share um, what we've learned and what we've done so that they can learn and and have that as an example um, to other people. So, yeah, the doctors, they didn't really understand how. And they would ask me questions and they, they would interview me. And, I mean, I was on the doctor's TV show. And they wanted to know how to. And it was the same thing. I, 
I, I focused on my mind. And as a result, I was able to overcome a lot of things. And I, I think that if we stop focusing on our brain, because my brain was damaged, my mind wasn't. So I focused on what wasn't damaged, and that was my mind. So I worked on physically healing myself by imagining what I wanted my future to look like. So I imagined myself in a health, happy, healthy, whole state. And that's all I ever thought about and imagined. And I saw myself. Those images, I played them like a movie in my mind. So every time someone said it couldn't be done, I played that movie again. I pressed pause on the movie that they were trying to put on me. And I pushed play on the movie that I wanted to see. And I did that over and over and over again. So when a doctor asked me, how did you do it? It sounds freaking crazy for me to say, oh, I just put push, play on my movies. I play, push pause on my limiting beliefs. And I push play on the, on what I wanted to see in my life. It, it sounds crazy, but if, but if it can be done that way, why not try it? I mean, I've worked with some of my clients in the very beginning. It is like that. It is those limiting beliefs are hard to, to go through it's hard to get through them and 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 that's one of the challenges that I work with with my clients but when we get to the point when we're learning how to play our movies in our minds I'm still completely like blown away at the results that we can produce together in this in 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 our coaching program I mean I just I don't I, I sometimes look think back and like think what the heck who am I to be able to receive all this because that's what it feels like I'm opening all these presents and I mean it's their present because they're they're the ones that are unlocking all of the all of their potential on their own and they're doing it it's their work they're doing it but I'm just providing the tool for them and it's still I'm still in awe of it I still think because it at first it was like, well, am I a rare exception? Am I this so-called miracle that everybody keeps saying? Well, if I am, then that means that that none of my clients would be having the results that they're having now. Because actually, they're their own miracle. They're creating the miracles that they needed to create within themselves. You know what I mean? Like you're creating the miracles that you needed mm -hmm. to create within yourself. I mean, you have been placed in this life for a reason with the, with the, um, we talked about it er earlier with using our deficits as a superpower. Mm -hmm. And once we realize how we can tap into that, the possibilities become endless. I really do feel like superwoman. I really do feel like that because I hold something inside of me that I did for myself. And now I can hand it over to someone else. <coughs> I still have trach issues. Sorry. No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, before you, before you go into that, what, what, what do you do? Cause you said you 
help people, but you didn't say what you do for a living. Um, I'm sorry. What did you say? Uh, you didn't. You didn't say what you actually do. You said you help people, but you help your clients, but you didn't actually say what you do for a profession. Oh yeah. Well, uh, Jason and I are coaches, and we coach people um, how to tap into a healthy mind versus a broken brain, and that's kind of you know what we were dealing with, like what I got went through, what Jason went through, what a lot of people go through is like, they go into it, uh, logically speaking, how can I logically heal myself? How can I logically go from A to Z? How can I logically go to, you know, from where I'm at now into where I want to be? Well, you don't do that with your brain. You do that with your mind. And so that's, um, Sorry, I had to take some water. Um, that's actually what we've been coaching our clients on. And, and um, it's been an amazing journey because, you know, I've, I wrote a book. And my, my book is called Limitless. Small Moves to Your Greatest Life After a Paralyzing Stroke. Well, that seems, I mean, that's a great, it's a great tool to have. But I found that there was people wanting more. And, and as a result, we had to create, um, a coaching program where they can work with us one-on-one to help them tap into their own higher self. And that, that wasn't even enough. So even, um, working with them one-on-one, they're also wanting to do the, you know, what is it that you do? What, how did you get your mind there? What are the little steps that you had to do? And so we created um, a course or we're creating, Jason's finishing up, helping me with uh, finishing up my course. His course has been created and already launched, but my course is um, a little bit more tailored towards stroke recovery or brain injury recovery. And, um, and that uh, will be launching here pretty, pretty soon. So if there, if, if the book isn't enough and, the course isn't enough. They can personally coach with us. And that's been, you know, an, an amazing, successful journey. And, and in the beginning, it was something that I just, you know, you, you, when, when I'm talking about pinky moves, when I was thinking about walking out of the hospital, I never thought I want to walk out of the hospital because I want to coach people live their best life. I want to coach people so that they can learn how to recover. Like, I didn't think that. You have to stay in the steps that you're in. You have to realize that that you have to make small, pinky moves to create big results for your life. So one of the things that we, that Jason and I created was, um, and, and it's a free gift for your, your viewers or your listeners as well, if they want to go to pinkymoves.com. Um, it's small pinky moves or big results. Like one, ask for what you want and then learn to believe and receive it with gratitude. And I'll, 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 uh, unpack this in a minute. And then the last is celebrate all your victories. 
So when you ask for what you want, are you really asking? Like, what is it that you really, really want? What do you want to see? What do you want to change? What, what do you think that is a big ask? Whatever it is, hold that thought in your head, in your mind. And when you learn to receive that with gratitude, um, and when I say receive it with gratitude, like close your eyes and imagine you receiving it. And, and imagine the feeling of gratitude having received it. So all you're doing is putting a vision out there, putting, putting something out there that you want to receive and putting a vision behind it, being able to see yourself and do it in complete detail. So when you imagine it and when you, when you, um, are, are basically painting this picture or writing a movie, you're painting a movie in, or uh, creating a movie in your mind. It's going to be exactly what you want to see, what what your what your ask is, right? In complete detail, and then you feel the gratitude of receiving it, right. and then you celebrate it. Celebrate it as if as if it already has happened, and when you celebrate it, you are activating your your gratitude. You're activating the fact that you received it. So your mind doesn't know the difference between uh, reality and um, a, a movie that you're painting in your mind. So y- you have to be able to, to paint it so clearly that it will happen. So when it does happen, it, your, your, your reality is just going through the motions and it's going, it's it's going to get there. It's you're you're painting the picture of what you already want, and your mind already told you that you did that. So you're just going to keep going, and and you did that. So I used to I used to imagine that I was going to be telling my story on TV. I didn't know how or when, but I just kept imagining it. Like I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be sharing my story. I'm going to help millions of lives. I'm going to help just by sharing my story and then I'm going to help all these people. And I imagine the audience, I imagine the camera crew. I imagine the TV, the cameras. I imagine people asking me questions. I imagine my family in the front row. <clears throat> I imagine what I was wearing, what I was going to say. Like I imagine all of those things. And what I, that's, that was my ask. That's what I wanted. And then I learned to receive it with gratitude. I envisioned it and I received it. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being, for, for this being my, the, the image that was playing in my mind because it made me feel so good. It made me feel like I was making a difference. And I celebrated that I was making a difference. And then a couple months later, I get a phone call from a network asking me if I could share my story with them on TV. What? Hmm. That just happened. And, and I keep doing that over and over and over again. And I know sometimes it sounds like, you know, rah, rah, BS. 
and 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 it's like okay yeah that's it you can just imagine it and it's gonna come true it sounds like not real but i'm telling you with a hundred percent certainty i have done this over and over and over again and become successful doing it my clients have done it over over and over again and they have become successful doing it i don't doubt it i know it will happen if you practice this you will see and you will reap the benefits of doing it too yeah um so what what is your mental health like now because i mean i'm that's you know i mean you say a lot of amazing things and it's stuff that i use in my life but i'm definitely not as effective with it um because i constantly catch myself even when the most positive things are happening i catch myself just kind of drifting off into that dark place especially if someone tries to you know like the other day uh, i was talking about my podcast to my grandmother and some of all the things that were coming from it and she and again she's a person who i love very dearly but uh sometimes isn't the most supportive person um and i think that's just from where she's from and and just her generation and so on but um, yeah but anyway so i i and she just said well you know this hobby is really you know something to the effect of you know this is hobbies really taking off for you you know and and then i i kind of said well it's more than a hobby at this point it's something i'm really passionate about and trying to do more with and she basically in so many words basically is trying to tell me never to get off social security or disability and you know always stay at the job that i'm at don't kind of you know Again, in so many words, don't push for more because you're going to lose your disability and then you're not going to have any money and all these things. And she's looking at it from this uh, negative place. And, of course, it had a very big impact on me because she's a person who I love to death. And it took me a day or two to really kind of get myself out of that fog because, again, I do cherish her opinion and I do love her. But when she looks at me that way, it makes me have to second guess everything going like, you know, even she doubts me like am I really yeah. doing something good here? So how, how do you, to this day, like how do, how do you stay on the right path beyond just your think, obvious examples that got you through it? I think um, we have to, we have to let people be who they are and, and, and not worry about having them see our big picture. If I could tell you any one thing, I mean, going back to, what my doctors, their limiting beliefs are me. It can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. Um, it shouldn't be done. It's not supposed to be done. All those things. What your grandma was, was, uh, sharing with you was her own limiting belief. And that's okay. So your belief was set inside of you for you, not for her. So it's, it's, it's normal. For her not to be on the same page. My family, yeah, they were all on the board with me recovering because that's physically speaking. And and now my business is completely changed and turned where I'm sure a lot of them would be like, Lisa, relax, just live your life now. You're okay. You're healthy. You're good. Just live your life now. But I'm on this path of like self-development and I want to help others and 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 sometimes it's confusing to other people. It's it's because that that um was set that dream and that um that vision was placed inside of you, not in other people. So we kind of have to 
let everybody be who they are. So if we're trying to change them, like if you can't be playing a game, playing football with someone or, you know, in a big, in a big stadium, be playing football and really, really want to pull someone from the audience and play the game with you. You, you can't do that because one, they don't know how to play. They don't know, but they can be damn good spectators. They could be on the outside and just watching you. Sometimes you're going to find other spectators that don't like the team you're on. And sometimes there's going to be spectators that are not even spectators that, that freaking hate football or hate the game that you're playing and don't understand it. Like me physically, like honestly, me, I don't understand the game of football. But that doesn't mean that I hate it. I, I respect it. Okay, that's fine. It's football, whatever. But I don't understand it. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to understand it where somebody else is like, what do you mean? Football is so cool. It, it, it's all the things. Well, that's a fan, right? But what about someone that's actually playing the game? He's not going to waste his time trying to explain to me why I should like football. He's just going to play the game. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to let people stay where they're at. And the people that want to play with us, we're going to play with them. The people that want to work with us, we're going to work with them. And we need all those other people. We need the naysayers. We need the, the cheerleaders. We need the umpires. We need, like, all the people that go into running a successful game, running a, a, a successful event. We need all those people, whether they be, they be for us or against us. That's fine. That's where your place is? Okay. Now you know, and now you can move on. So it's, it is exhausting trying to change someone into something else. So what many times we do, <clears throat> and like what you were doing with your grandma, many times what we do is <clears throat> we try to turn a non-fan into a fan. So we're trying right now, we're trying to turn someone who doesn't like football or doesn't like basketball or baseball like we're trying to turn them into diehard yankee fans not gonna happen not gonna happen they don't even like baseball that's not gonna happen so why try to turn them into a fan let them be where they're at love them for what they're where they're at who they are and how they help you they may not be able to help you in your business they may not be able to help you in your recovery in your journey and in, in, in certain aspects of your life but they can help you with other things so they could be a great grandma they could be a great friend brother sister uncle mother they could be all those things but maybe not your business partner maybe not your cheerleader maybe not your your uh, your um uh what is it what is sorry my word um you're fine Someone, someone that's playing the game with you. Teammate. Uh, teammate. Thank you. <laughs> so maybe not your teammate, but, but, they're, but, they're, but they're exactly where they need to be. And you just let, let them be there and stop trying to convert them. Because the dream that you have, the, the mission you have in life is not meant for them. 
it's meant for you. And I think that's where a lot of times we set ourselves up for failure because these people hold high positions in our life. These people hold a lot of real estate in our hearts. So because of that, we feel like, well, if they can get it, then other people can get it too. No, you just need the right people to get it. You need to get it and the right people need to get it. And that, that should be enough. So when we start, when we stop putting these, um, I guess, titles on people and how they should be and how they should react, it kind of releases something for us. So we start to focus more on what we are producing and focus on what, um, spending the time with the people that are celebrating with us. Because I can tell you right now, my family, they, they, they support me in what I'm doing, but they're not like my, they're not my cheerleaders. They're not playing the game with me. They're not even in the stands. They're outside of the game and they're just like wearing a Yankee shirt. That's, that's all they're doing. They don't even, they don't even know what I'm doing, but that's okay. I need those people too. They need to go out there and represent my brand. Be proud of me. That's all I need. That's all I need. Yeah, in the beginning, it was it was difficult because I was, like, trying to get them, like, Mom, did you read my book? Brother, did you read my book? Like, did you see me on this talk show? Did you see me on the, uh, you know, on the, on this, on this show, on the podcast, on a, on, in the newspaper, like, in Women's World Magazine and all these places? Did you, did you see that? Did you see that? Mm, we need to stop doing that. We need to we need to start working and celebrating the people that are celebrating us. And as a result, we're going to create more and do more. More pinky moves along the way. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, cuz I've I've always said like to me uh, the honestly the biggest fight is really against yourself because, you know, at this point I'm I'm used to, you know, doubters or people who you know, say whatever they want, but, uh, you know, been told my whole, my, my whole life that I wouldn't be certain places, wouldn't be able to do this and live on my own and do that and do that. So I'm used to that. It's just the constant, uh, I guess it's the familiar voice, even though it comes from a different mouth. It's just, you know, these echoes from, you know, whether it's my grandma or whatever, somebody, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, you'll never be this. You'll never be that. Um, and it doesn't really matter who says it. It's just kind of a repetitive uh, feeling and, and words that constantly get echoed into your head. So that every time you get to a place of happiness or, or somewhere where you're just you're actually feeling good, it's when it comes back and goes, "Oh, remember you? you remember how ugly you are? <laughs> remember this?" And um, yeah. So yeah, it's it, that's you know it's it's the voices that you're fighting. It's not even like I said, it's not even people anymore because people don't really affect me much. It's just the, yeah, it's true and. And that's part of uh, self-development and strengthening your mind and and, and your your muscle, the mind muscle, because when you are faced with situations like that, it's easier for you. Like your skin is tougher when 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 you're so in line on where you're going, nothing can deter you. So imagine your destination, where you're trying to go. Imagine it like your GPS right and 
your GPS, you set it, you set your goals, you set your intention, you set your end game, basically. And you put that in your GPS and you look in the mirror and the mirror is pretty much like the big red X. You are here. You're starting here, but you're going to end up here. And I'm going to show you how to get there. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be your GPS and I'm going to get you all the way there. But along the way, you're going to be, there's going to be detours. There's going to be people that pop into your life that, are going to be naysayers. There's going to be situations that pop in your life that is going to be a big distraction. There's going to always be detours. But the, the, if we focus on our set intention of what we want, it doesn't matter how many detours. Because when you put in, think of it now, when you put it in your, in, in your um, GPS and there's an accident on the freeway, what does it redo? What, or what does it do? It reroutes you, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's still going to the same place, but it'll reroute you. So now it might take you a little longer. It might take you in here and out there and all around, but it will get you there. So as long as you have the end in mind, as long as you are operating with the end in mind and knowing where you're going to end up and nothing and no one can deter you from that you will get there and and there's going to be naysayers there's going to be people to tell you you can't go there you can't go there because the 405 freeway is closed you can't go there well you know what i'll find another way i'll find another way there's a detour i'll find another way everything in life is gonna is is gonna either work for you or against you but it's completely up to you it's the way you look at it. You can either look at your deficits and what you're working with, all the the whatever you have left. You can look at that as 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 um, something that's not going to work for you, or you can use it as something that is working for you. I mean, there is people that have done way more with way less in life, and if I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, I'm sitting here talking to you and yes I have short-term memory I have aphasia I have you know all, all, all these brain deficits and you are also working with your own limited deficits but you don't let it limit you mm-hmm. and that's the difference between you and someone else you don't let it limit you you've already done more than the regular person so that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you have that inside of you, that, that um, drive inside of you, and you set your end game, don't let anybody else detour you. Keep going to your destination. The only way you'll never make it to that, to that uh, uh, destination that you set is if you stop driving, is if you quit, is if you give up. When you give up, you're not going to get there. 100% guarantee you will not get there. But if you keep going on your journey, you will get there. It might take you longer, might 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 be detours along the way, but you'll get there. Yeah, and I think in our in our lives, I don't think I think it's always the other way around. Like it's never the intended destination that's on the map. Like we usually have to find another route. There usually is no 
you know, other way or, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many other ways. Well, usually one or two other ways around something, but, um, yeah, there's but, very rarely a straight path. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah. It's rarely just easy and just go, Oh, that, Oh, boom. Just take a left and yeah. you're there. No, it's not the case. Um, but again, that also makes you, know, you appreciate the journey more too. Yeah. And you know where there is a straight path on um, little things. So, um, if you set your intentions today, I just want to, I, I just want to drive. My goal is here. Um, but I just want to drive for a mile. Well, in that one mile, the, um, the, oh, what's the word? Um, the probabilities of something happening, you know, in that one mile is a lot less than happening in, you know, 43 miles. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about pinky moves, that's all it is. It's just going in a little one mile increment to get to your goal. So you, you are not going to get in your car and drive all the way there. You're just going to take little tiny baby steps. You're just going to try to take little pinky moves to get to your goal. So if we break it down into the little, the little um, actionable steps, we'll be able to get there. But when we look at that big picture, it looks long. It looks hard. It looks like, oh my God, there's there is no way I can get there without detours. But if you just break it down to little tiny miles, to little tiny pinky moves, you will get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, besides, uh, like, you know, so what, what is your message for anybody who, I mean, I guess you just gave out a whole shitload of them, but what is your message for people who are, I mean, cause essentially, you know, we're all struggling with things in our head. You were technically trapped in yours. Um, but it, metaphorically a lot of us are anyway. So what what is your, your message for those people that are just um, you know, feeling like they can't break whatever it is, that barrier, um, that was allowing you to get to your pinky. Uh, yeah. What is your message for people who are trying to break through that barrier and they feel that they just can't? One word, just start. So I always, I always finish every podcast and I, I'll just say it now because, um, I think it, it resonates so much with my clients, with me, with anyone I speak to. And, and it's this start. It is, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. A lot of times we get caught up in the, well, I'm not going to be great. I'm not going to do it hundred percent. I don't know if I can, you know, we get caught up in the bigness of it and we just have to start. We just have to start, like start it and then, and then you'll figure it out. And, and so a lot of times we get caught up in like pushing play. Like I, we have that, that negative, negative um, limiting belief that is playing. And we, we have to pause that and play on our possibility. And the only way we can do that is by 
starting it. Push start. That's right. it. Push start. You don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. Yeah, that's a, probably a good way to end it, unless there's anything else you want to say. Um, no. Yeah. That's, that's it. If you want to know more, you can go to freeselfar.com. I'll put it in the description when I put the episode out. Um, so, yeah, I'll end it here.